So we're talking today about the Battle of Armageddon and the seven last plagues. How is this going to unfold? What will it look like? Uh, when you think of Armageddon, when you think of the seven last plagues, what comes to mind? Pain, suffering, heartache, things that you've seen on the news, but maybe not just what you've seen on the news, but bigger, greater, grander, global scale, right? Uh, this battle of Armageddon. Maybe you think of something like this. We interrupt this broadcast, right? You're trying to watch football, you have your popcorn, and all of a sudden it flashes, it blinks, and it tells you that terrible things are happening. There's been a huge earthquake, or New York City has been hit by a, a bomb, or is in flames, or whatever it might be. Uh, and so when we think of Armageddon, oftentimes we think of doom, we think of gloom. When we think of the seven pla last plague, same thing. Uh, this is oftentimes people's picture of Armageddon, right? Um, is that what it's talking about in Scripture? Is that what it's going to look like? And that's what we want to look at this morning. There's unprecedented series of world natural disasters that are happening today. Is this going to just simply be something at a larger scale? Is it going to be an unprecedented world financial collapse? And, you know, oftentimes we think these things are independent of each other, but really they all go together, don't they? I've heard uh, a banker tell me about a year ago, he said, according to the sources that I have, everybody says, oh, our economy is, is getting stronger and it's all fixed and everything's better. But he told me, he says, we're weaker now than we were before. And everybody says, oh, we're recovering. Well, that's true and that's a good thing, but we're not back to where we were before. And he told me, he said, if we had another Hurricane Katrina in this country, that would be enough to knock us out. Is that true? I don't know. I don't have a way of verifying that. Um, you know, I hear that secondhand, thirdhand. What about this idea of a global international conflict? There's a lot of weapons out there. What if somebody was to drop a weapon uh, and then this starts a, a chain reaction around the world? And so then we have these questions to contend with. How could a loving God afflict people with sores from head to toe? And how could a loving God turn rivers of water into rivers of blood? That's referring to the plagues, right? So it's saying, looking at this plague language, how would a loving God do those kinds of things? Have you ever asked that question? I mean, it certainly doesn't seem like something a loving God typically would do would be to cause all these plagues. Another, some other questions. When does this period of tribulation occur? Are God's people raptured before this period of seven last plagues? I would submit to you the whole idea of the rapture, which we talked about before. So you had to go back to a previous lesson or we can talk about it if that's questions you have. But to me, I would submit the whole idea of the rapture is that we're so scared of these seven last plagues that we're going to create a theology based on a few verses that raptures us away before the seven last plagues. So we're going to have to go through them, right? Um, so we're going to have to look at that too. Are God's people raptured before this period of seven last plagues? Are we on the verge of the tribulation, the time of the end, and the battle of Armageddon? That's the question we're looking at. So let's look in our, well, we're going to look at Revelation and see what it has to say there. Um, is this the end? Well, Revelation 14, beginning verse 6, here we are in the three angels' message again. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, 
to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Um, and so we have this gospel message that's going out. It's going around the world. It's circling the world to everyone. And what is the message saying? It's saying with a loud voice, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. So this is not fear God in terms of trembling and all the rest. This is a sense of being afraid of God, uh, or not being afraid of God, but respecting and obeying God. Does that make sense? So we need to respect God. We need to have uh, obedience to God and all these kinds of things. And it says, and worship him who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and the springs of water. So again, this is review. We've looked at that. It's a call to worship the creator. It's a call to the Bible Sabbath. In fact, that's a direct quotation pulled out of the fourth commandment um, that we just looked at. And so it's a call to remember all of those things. And then going back to Revelation 14, and the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast, we've been talking about that the last few nights, and his image, we could say his mark of authority, we could say Sunday worship, couldn't we? And receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, either being convinced here or being coerced here. That's what it's talking about. If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand. <clears throat> I hadn't switched that slide yet, had I? So we have a call to either worship the creator or a call to worship the beast, right? And it says, he himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Does that mean God's just going to be so angry he's going to put him in a chokehold? Is that what it means? I believe it means something different. Uh, let's finish these verses and we'll, let, we'll uh, look at that a little bit more deeply. He himself shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. What is this wrath of God that these three angels speak of? That's the question we want to look at. Because I don't know about you, but this idea of wrath of God, I don't want to be part of the wrath of God. And so we see Revelation predicts a final conflict over true and false worship. And then here in the tale of the three angels' message, here's the patience of the saints. Here are those that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. And so this last great conflict in the last days of earth's history is a struggle in human mind. A great battle is a battle for the soul. It revolves around the issue of worship. It really is a test of loyalty, right? You might recall in Daniel, we've looked at this image, we've talked, we haven't actually focused on this story, but if you read in Daniel chapter, uh, is it Daniel 3, I believe? Yes. That you have these three Hebrews that stand. Nebuchadnezzar had this big image, right? And he says, instead of the whole thing being just the head of gold, I want the whole thing to be gold, it's going to be me, Right? And so instead of everybody bowing down, these three say, I'm not going to bow down. I'm not going to worship this idol. And we've studied how Babylon is the head of gold, Persia, the chest and arms of silver, Greece, the thighs of bronze, and so on. But here we have a false system of worship, right? And we talked last night and the last two nights, really, that we've come together in the last days, an attempt will be made again to substitute a counterfeit 
for divine truth. Over and over and over again, we see counterfeits, right? Um, here is, now we saw, we focused on the three angels' message about where it says they will receive the wrath of God. Do you remember that? So we're looking at this slide now. This is Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, having great and marvelous seven angels, having the, and what do they have? The seven last plagues. For in them is the, what does it say? Wrath of God is complete. And so really what we can do is we can substitute this wrath of God that we read about in Revelation chapter 14 with this idea, you like my pencils, of the seven last plagues. So really when it says those that don't worship me and worship the God of, of, of creation, they don't worship in terms of the Sabbath, they accept the mark of the beast, this counterfeit, false worship, all these things, they are going to receive the seven last plagues. Now that also means that if I don't receive the counterfeit, if I don't fall in line when they command Sunday worship, if I don't do all these things, but I, I choose, I say, God, I want to be faithful to you. I want to be faithful to your word. I want to be faithful to the Sabbath. I want to be faithful to what you've called me to. Does that mean, if we go back to Revelation 14, that they will receive the wrath of God? They won't. So, does that mean we're going to be raptured and we're not going to participate in the, in the seven last plagues? No, it doesn't. Let's keep going. <clears throat> we're going to come back to that. But what is God's wrath? Well, God's wrath is not his anger at sinners. It is his judgment upon sin. And really, it's his justification, if you will, because all along, we talked last night about... This is hard for me to stay right here because we're trying to record this. Uh, just nail my feet down. We've talked all along about how um, there's going to be kind of a crescendo in this Sunday worship. First, it's suggested. We already have that happening. Maybe there'll be some natural disasters, some other things. We've got to get back to God. There's going to be greater and greater peer pressure as more Protestant churches are shaking hands with the Pope and various things. And they're going to say, why don't you come along, Right? So it's going to be strong pressure, and the Pope's already using that idea of using strong pressure. We looked at that quote last night. Um, but then it's going to get more and more and more, maybe privileges, maybe taking away privileges, until eventually, according to Scripture, it says they will kill those. So it eventually will lead to a death decree. But here we're talking about, and, and all along they've said, if you receive the mark of the beast... We will give you physical security. If you receive the mark of the beast, we will give you economic security. We'll provide food for your family. In fact, this is very similar, if you will, to World War II. If you fell in line with the Nazis, your life would be better. We could promise and guarantee that you would be safe. Physical security, economic security, your life, all these things. And even vacations and all the rest. We'll give you more clothing, more food rations. On and on and on. And so this power has said, we can produce all these things that you need and you're looking for. In direct distinction, contradistinction, to what God says, I'm the way, the truth, of the life. I'm the one that provides security. I'm the one that provides for you economically. I'm the one that provides your life. I'm the one, you see? And so really, this seven last plagues is, is judgment upon sin, but it's also justification for the fact that God is who he said he is. I'm getting ahead of myself, but let's keep going. 
So during the seven last plagues, God withdraws his protective hand and all the hellish forces break loose. Now the seven last plagues are the awesome result of a world separated from God and a planet in rebellion. Uh, you might be wondering, why are they the seven last plagues? Are there any plagues other places in Scripture? Can you think of any? In Egypt. Yeah. In Egypt. How many plagues are in Egypt? Ten. 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 So shouldn't this be the, the seven or the ten last plagues instead of the seven? Mm -mm. I mean, if there's ten in Egypt, then there's seven here. Seven. Let's go back to Egypt. What was, was there anything that had to do with the plagues in Egypt? Ten, seven, what? The first three plagues. That's right. The last seven were only on the Egyptians. So if you didn't hear that, we have ten plagues, but the first three were for the general land. They fell on the general land. The last seven. Did I just say last seven? Yes. yes. The last seven only fell on the Egyptians. God's people were not raptured. They weren't delivered out of it, but they were protected through it. Does that make sense? And so I believe that's why we have this seven last plagues, because God's people will have to live through it, but God is going to sustain them through it. Okay? So we have events of the end. One, there's going to be worldwide preaching of the gospel, according to the three angels' message. All humanity makes a final and eternal choice. Um, <clears throat> the mark of the beast is enforced in a final conflict over worship. Uh, number four, God's loyal people lovingly obey him, even though it doesn't make sense. It goes against all of my senses, right? In terms of trying to preserve my own life and everything else, my family, all the rest. It, it, it's counterintuitive. But I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to be loyal to God. I'm going to be loyal to God. I'm going to be loyal to God. I'm going to believe his word. Fifth, seven last plagues are poured out, and then Christ delivers his people. And I would submit to you that at the very end, when it seems as if there is no hope for God's people, God comes right on time. Right on time. I don't know what scenario you want to come up with. You know, you're, you're in the car and you're off on the, the bridge and your car is teetering, right? And and you're trying to get the family members out. I mean, this is a very dramatic movie scene, isn't it? They're trying to get the family members out, and the car keeps teetering. We're trying to keep the balance of everything. And just when it seems like the car is going to go off the bridge and I'm going to die, Jesus grabs me. That's the end of the seven last plagues. Jesus grabs me and saves and preserves my life. Everything inside of me was saying, I'm going down with this car. But it's not going to happen. God will come, and I believe he will deliver his people. This is an interesting verse. No one was able to enter. This is in Revelation 15 where we have the seven last plagues. No one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now that verse right there stands in opposition to this idea that God plucks and pulls people away, doesn't it? Because nobody enters the temple. Nobody is in heaven. Nobody is in, gets to experience being with God and the, the safety of that in heaven until the seven last plagues are done. Does that make sense? And where's the temple? Well, that's Jesus in his sanctuary interceding for us. Revelation 22, skipping to the end of the book, it says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. 
And he who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. And so you have righteous and the holy and the pure versus the unrighteous, the unholy, and the unpure. Now, I don't know that we're really talking about that so much per se today, but there is this thing called a close of probation. You remember with Noah and the flood? When would the close of probation have been? He's inviting, he's preaching, he's saying, come into the ark of safety, come, come, come. And eventually what happens? The door is shut. And so it's kind of this, this verse that we just read. He who is righteous, let him be righteous. He who is filthy, let him be filthy. So, I mean, decisions have been made. I would submit to you that the close of probation, as we get this climax in Earth's history, as we have natural disasters, economic disasters, war, strife, pressure for worship, and how we're going to worship, anytime we are put in a, in a crucible, if you will, when, we're, when the pressure is dialed up, we decide ultimately what we're going to do and how we're going to respond. And I believe the close of probation is that period of time when God knows, and only God knows because he can read the heart, he knows if I gave it more time, nobody would change their mind. Nobody would change their mind. It's the line in the sand, and people have already chosen, I'm going to go this way, no, I'm going to go that way, and they're so set in their ways, nobody's going to change their mind. And so the close of probation is not me saying, Lord, I want to come in, I want to come in, and all of a sudden, shut, too late. Really, the too late is the fact that God has been wooing me and calling me, and I've been shutting them out and shutting them out and shutting them out and shutting them out, and so God knows that no one's going to change your mind, and it's the close of probation. I can't prove that beyond a shadow of a doubt, but I believe because of that scripture that Jesus wants to save to the uttermost any and everybody. He doesn't want anyone to be lost, which tells me he would allow time to go on a little longer if you would change your mind, if I would change my mind. But he can see the end from the beginning. He knows when that time comes, everybody is so set in their ways. And so that's the close of probation. And there's no bell that goes off. We don't have a ding. Now we're in the close of probation. No, we don't know. But then the plagues start to fall. And then those that are in Christ will be delivered through the plagues. Those that are not, well, they may not be. So that's for free. I don't know if that made any sense. But the final crisis that is coming upon our world will lead men and women to make one of two decisions. Completely for Christ or completely against Christ. Well, I'm going to be standing in the middle. No, you're not. No one's going to let you stand in the middle. You're going to have to choose a side, right? I don't know anybody in uh, World War II that was standing in the middle. I'm going to have one foot in the concentration camp and one foot... No, there's nobody in the middle. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, chapter 16 now in Revelation, go and pour out the bowls of the wrath of God on the earth. And we already looked at this. Do God's people go through tribulation? Yes. They do. Why are they called the seven last plagues? We've looked at that already. The Israelites were protected by God during the plagues that were poured out on the Egyptians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now all these things happened to them as examples, talking about the plagues in Egypt, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Okay? So just as the Israelites were present through the plagues and delivered at the end of the plagues, so God's people are present but protected through the plagues and delivered at the end of the plagues. I don't know where that hum's coming from. Hopefully you don't hear it. After Moses, Exodus 5, verse 1, after Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, thus says the Lord God of Israel, let my people go 
that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. What did God's people do? They put blood over the doorpost, right? And the angel of death came and all those things. God's people were preserved by trusting in him. So, yeah, I did get ahead of myself. I had all these slides. Uh, they went through the plagues in Egypt. The Hebrew worthies went into the fiery furnace. That's another story there in Daniel that we've mentioned already. Did God deliver them from the fire? Nope, there wasn't an earthquake that happened and the soldiers, they got loose and ran to the mountains. That doesn't happen. They actually go into the fire. Do they perish in the fire? No. Do they feel the flames of the fire? No. No. And where is God in the midst of it? Right there. He's in the flames with them. In fact, here's a picture. And Nebuchadnezzar himself says, I thought we threw three men in there. I see four. And one looks like the son of the gods. Or, you know, he's seen Jesus trying to figure out how to describe him. And so I believe that is uh, faith that is going to last. Faith is going to endure. Faith is going to hold us onto Christ. That's what's going to pull us through. Um... And so Revelation declares God's triumphant people will go through the tribulation, but will be victorious. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, people, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Sorry, I didn't switch it for you. Clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands. And it continues in verse 14. These are the ones who came out of, what does it say? I have to use my highlighter. Came out of the great tribulation. Don't miss that. It doesn't say they were delivered from it, but they came out of it. And washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And so you're going to have people that are faithful to him, that are longing to be baptized, to spread the, the word to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, to be preaching the good news, to be studying the Bible, to be doing mission work and all the rest. And it says, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They shall ne neither hunger anymore nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any heat. For the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And I love this verse. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's incredibly personal. The face is incredibly personal. You don't touch anybody else's face. If I came up and touched your face, you would pull back. You probably wouldn't let me. You'd say, what are you doing? <laughs> but here we have God being incredibly personal. Because he's a trusted friend. He's somebody that we know. And he's the one. He doesn't say, oh, I'm so sorry to everybody in the huge mass throng. He comes to you personally and he listens. And he hears and he comforts. And he wipes the tear from your eyes. That's a pretty, pretty cool verse. Okay, so let's look more specifically at these seven last plagues. First, we have the plague of sores. And we find that in Revelation 16 too. A foul and loathsome sore. It talks about. Now, all along it said, if you receive the mark of the beast, we will guarantee you what kind of security? Physical security. Physical security. Right? 
And so here's the thing that they have been saying all along, we can deliver it. We can, we can give you this thing if you will just come alongside. Now all of a sudden they are receiving foul and loathsome sores and it is shown to all the world that all physical security is only in Christ. You see that? Psalms 46, 1 and 2, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, let me switch it here. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Is that interesting? I mean, that's, that sounds like pretty big things happening, right? Though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. The second plague, sea turns to blood. Does that remind anybody of some uh, relatively recent history we've had? <coughs> I'm thinking of the Gulf turned to blood. I mean, it wasn't blood, but it was like blood. Um, and what did that do? Then the second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became blood as of a dead man, and every living creature in the sea died. What happened when we just had that little thing happen in the Gulf? Was that every ocean? No. What did that do to shipping? What did that do to... <clears throat> fishing and the economy to the oil that we got up here how much would we start paying for get you remember how that just really rippled through everything and that was just the gulf and you know the environment and all these other things it, it just causes huge problem so i'm thinking if this is on a global scale this is going to be a real economic issue isn't it i mean the, the whole world is going to crumble economically if all the seas are turned to blood and all the animals and all the, the stench and the, the environmental problems and on and on it goes. This could be a huge, huge problem. And I believe here in the second plague we find that all economic security is where? In Christ. in Christ. They said we could provide you with economic security. Just come over. Receive the mark of the beast. Do as we tell you to do. Fall in line. But we see here in the seven last plagues in the second that all physical in the first one, all uh, economic security in the second one is found only in Christ. So here we have judgment, yes, but we have the vindication of God's people. Do you see that? So I believe we have a God of love here in the, the seven last plagues. Uh, rivers turn to blood is the third plague that we have. Revelation 16.4, Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Now water oftentimes, and we've talked how it represents multitudes and all those kinds of things. I suppose it could mean that, but I believe here it's talking about more as water, as fresh water. First it's, it's hit all the salt water. Now the fresh water has been hit. Now we have a real problem. Because without water... How long do... I mean, I can't even get through a presentation. i got to pause, right? <laughs> and you don't have your water bottle, so this is making you thirsty. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's a symbol of life. Of all the things we can't survive, I mean, I suppose air is a big thing too, but without water, we can't live very long. We live a lot longer without food than we can without water. <clears throat> Revelation 16, 5 and 6. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged things. Sorry, let me switch. For, because you have judged th these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets. 
and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. Is, is God being vengeful here? No. I don't believe that he is. I believe he's simply showing all of these things, physical security, economic security, even our life is in Christ. I mean, really, it's, it's by God's grace that the wicked man survives today. That his blood pressure is maintained, that all of these things happen. But at some point, um, sin is going to have to have more full reign. Isaiah 33, 16. For God's people, this is a beautiful promise. Bread will be given him, his water will be sure. Amen. Now it doesn't say you, Olive Garden will be given him and pink lemonade will be sure. It doesn't say that. But it says you'll have bread and you'll have water. May not be fancy, it might be fancy, but I'm going to supply your most basic needs for life. I can't help but think of the prophet who had ravens come and deliver him bread. And where's the water going to come from? I don't know. Maybe there'll be a spring that the Lord will guide us to, or I don't know. But somehow, some way, as we trust in Christ and realize that our life is hid in Christ, he will provide for us. And again, I don't think any of these things are going to stretch out over long periods of time. This is going to have to happen rapidly. Because if it's not rapidly, there's nobody left by the time we get to the third, fourth, fifth plague, right? So the fourth plague is talking about scorching sun. I believe this is interesting. Let's read about it here in Revelation 16, 8, and 9. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the bowl was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. Notice, in spite of everything going on, in spite of all these things that they said that they could deliver and they can't, do they repent? No. no. And I would submit to you that's because probation has been closed, because God has already known their hearts. They're either for him or against him. They've already chosen fully and completely. And even in the midst of all these things, they're not going to repent. They're not going to say, I'm sorry. Everybody who is going to say, I'm sorry, if that's in their heart, they've already said it. And they're on the other side. Praise the Lord. But these people are so settled in their sin, they still will not repent. doesn't matter. So the plagues reveal that they have trusted the wrong sources. I imagine they'll see God's people being delivered and pockets here and pockets there and all these other things. But they're not going to repent. Why? Because it's not that God closed the door and they were trying to get in and I'm sorry you're too late. It's because in their heart they're so hardened. So here we see that all true worship is in Christ. The Son and the Son God and Sunday worship and the mark of the beast being Sunday worship and the enforcement of it, all these things have centered around the Son and Sunday. And here we see that all true worship is in Christ. Right? So we have all physical securities in Christ, all economic securities in Christ, my life is in Christ, true worship is in Christ. Did I leave one out? Psalm 91, beautiful verse. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. On that day of scorching sun, Jesus will be our shadow. Amen. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him I will trust. Not in the government, not in their laws, not in their armies, not in what they say they can protect me with. I'm going to trust in the Lord. And we don't have to wait till then to claim this promise, by the way. 
We can claim this one today Amen. and today yes. and today and today. It says, surely he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. And so we have sores, we have sea turned to blood, we have rivers turned to blood, we have scorching sun, and then we have darkness covers the earth. And we've had periods in history where there's been darkness before, and all of a sudden people, they kind of panic. What is, what's going on? What is this? Is this a judgment of God? And then the fish, fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. How would you like it to just be completely dark? Dark, dark, dark. There's a reason the Bible says joy comes when? In the morning. If you've ever gone backpacking or camping, that first night can be the roughest night. The second night, you're so exhausted from the first night you sleep like a baby. But the first night can be rough. And I've had nights where, you know, the kids are up and they're in the tent. And I hear coyotes over here. We even heard a mountain lion one night. I didn't sleep well that night. <laughs> I verified it, believe me. And so I've had some rough nights, but I tell you, I just keep thinking, joy comes in the morning. <laughs> and that sun starts, and sometimes it seems like the morning will never come. Have you ever had those nights? And then the sun comes up. Oh, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. But here in this plague, I see that all true light, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, doesn't he? All light is only in Christ. And so we have, again, God vindicating his people. Psalm 119, verse 105. You know this verse. Your word, talking about God's word, is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. If you don't like stumbling around in the dark, pull out a light. And what's the light? God's word is the light. And this will guide us. So we're not stubbing our toes and tripping over things and falling off cliffs and all the rest. This, God is the light, okay? In fact, here we have John 8, verse 12. I am the light of the world. Jesus right. is the only true light. Right. Revelation 16, again, going back there, verse 11. They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. Their hearts have been hardened. They are set in their sins and in their ways. And I would submit to you it's extremely dangerous to turn from any teaching of God's word that you know to be true. Amen. If you do that, you'll gradually be led into darkness. Now, it's such a little thing. What's the big deal? Why can't I just, you know... I know a lot of people that do it. In fact, I know the pastor does it. I know the head elder does it. I know this person does it. What is the big deal? Well, folks, I got news for you. People are not the standard. Amen. They're not the standard. Well, I saw this person wearing this, and I heard this person say that. They're not the standard. Well, I saw the pastor, and he did it. I'm not the standard. This is the standard. And when God convicts you of something in here, and you're convicted, you know it to be true, you better do it and follow it. Because the God's not going to give you more truth until you submit to the truth that you've already received. Amen. Right? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying, well, I still have questions. Go ahead, ask your questions. Well, I still need to study it out. Go ahead, study it out. But the end of your study, if you feel convicted... Man, I've studied all these passages. I think this is true. I submit to you to follow it. No, give me something else to do and follow. I submit God probably won't give you something else to do and follow until you submit to what he's already given you. It's like saying, my kids do this all the time. 
can I have more, you know, mac and cheese? We don't have that very often. It's a delicacy because it's terrible for you. <clears throat> can I have more mac and cheese? Why would I give them more if they haven't finished what's already on their plate? Are you with me? Yeah. Well, I'm just so hungry. You've all been down that road. You pile it up high, and then they can't finish it. Mm-hmm. Can I get a witness? <laughs> okay, so the plagues are grim reminders of the ultimate reality when a world abandons Christ and his love. Back to Psalm 91. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. This is the verse that I shared that book. You remember, A Thousand Shall Fall? That book is a testimony to this verse. A thousand may fall beside you, but it will not come near you. Why? Because I've dedicated my life. I've surrendered my life. I'm in obedience to Christ. And I recognize that all physical, economic, my life, everything is in Christ. All true light is in Christ. All these things. So in Christ, we have secure shelter and safety. Or we are secure. It says, only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. And so then we've gone through all of these. The last one on the list here, and we're getting close towards the end of our time. But we're going to make it. We're going to make it. We have sores, seas turned to blood, rivers turned to blood, scorching sun, darkness. And then we have this word, Armageddon. What does that mean? Hollywood thinks they know what it means. The news anchor seems to know what it means. This is something that, that looks a lot like Armageddon or Armageddon, how do they say? Armageddon, I don't know. I was going to say Armageddon proportions. I don't think they use that one. I think I just made that one up. Anyway, the word Armageddon comes from the Hebrew word, root word Har and Megiddo, meaning mountain of slaughter. That sounds nice. Nice little book to read your kids before they go to bed at night. In the book of Judges, when people were surrounded and doom seemed certain, God miraculously delivered them. So really, you have everybody, you know, everything is mounting more and more and more, and it looks like all hope is lost. The car is teetering on the edge. That's Armageddon. Literally, all hell breaks loose on this planet. All those pictures we saw before, we have the sores, we have the fires in the city, we have economic destruction, we have people pillaging the supermarkets, can't find food anywhere. I mean, it's just a total and complete mess. Look at what it says in Revelation 16, 12. Then the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up, so that the way of the kings from the east might be prepared. Now the river Euphrates ran through Babylon, and it was the support system of Babylon. You can't have a city with thousands of people and not have a river of fresh water supporting it. And so here we have the waters uh, of the Euphrates drying up. Basically, the people's support is drying up. And when we look at that story in Daniel, Cyrus, the king of the east, delivered God's people from tyranny of ancient Babylon. And Jesus, the king of the east, will deliver God's people at the end time. East is a symbol of deliverance. Amen. And so Jesus comes when everything on this planet is completely destroyed and it's all a mess. It says, Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Jesus comes right on time for his people. And he delivers his people. Is that good news? What sense would it make to say that Christ 
delivers his people before the tribulation when the Bible says he's coming as a thief after the tribulation. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? Where was it? Behold, I come as a thief. There it is. Oh, forget this. I'm messing it all up. <clears throat> all right, we'll just keep going. So we have Armageddon. Everything all breaks loose. Jesus comes as a thief in the night, and we have the coming of Christ is number seven. And he comes with his sickle to reap the harvest of his people. It says, Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. It is done. Now you might say, how can Jesus come in chapter 16? Well, Revelation is a chiastic structure, and actually Jesus comes multiple times in the book of Revelation. It's kind of like layers. And so you really have to study to figure out where all these layers fit into place, because if you read it chronologically, expecting Jesus to come at the very end, it doesn't happen that way. So then we read that, and then we go back, and we read this, and we go back, and we read this. So it can be a little bit confusing, but when you understand the chiastic structure, it makes sense. As they mirror each other, and we can put these pieces into place. Um, did I read this yet? Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. It is finished. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. Are you going to miss it when Jesus comes? Is it going to be a secret coming? No. You're going to know. Everyone's going to know. Continuing, then every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. How much is a talent? That's a big hailstone. I mean, this is God's artillery delivering his people. Who's going to save you now? Is what they're asking. You brought all this upon us. We're really going to give it to you now. And Jesus comes and rescues his people. Because all security is found where? In Christ. In Christ. That's the point of the plagues. That's, right. it's, that's the whole point of the plagues. And we'll say, here's the God that we waited for. He is coming. And he will deliver us. And sure enough. Don't you like that picture? That's going to be a good day right there. That's going to be, well, it's going to start out not a good day. <laughs> Let's be realistic. Yeah. It's going to be a bad day, but it's going to end really, really well. You might have a bad day today, or tomorrow, or the next day, or the day after that. You may have a bad week, a bad month. But you know, we know how the story ends, and that should make a difference. Amen. Shouldn't it? Amen. I mean, if you knew, I love to hear those stories of, of Dave Ramsey and Financial Peace University and these couples that, you know, they start out, he told a story. They were both making about, what, 50000 a year or something. And they said, okay, we're going to live off of my income for everything. You know, they needed cars, they needed all these things. But we're going to save completely your income. And we're going to live in this tiny little apartment, you know, attic apartment. Not even as big as this room. We're talking about this big. So you have the bed, you have the kitchen, you have a few little things. And we're going to live like church mice for three years. 50,000, 100,000, 150,000, they went out and bought their first house with cash. <laughs> Why, what, what does that have to do with the plague? Well, it really has nothing to do with the plague. The point is, they were willing to live like that. Amen. You know, and, and maybe it was four or five years, I don't know. But at 50,000 a year, that adds up pretty quick, and you can get yourself a really nice, in six years, 
$300,000 home. Let's go for another two years, honey. Amen. Eight years. Now we're going to get a $400,000 home. And we're going to pay for it in cash. Mm -hmm. Wow, is right. There's something about the end of the story, the end game, that makes a difference on how we live right now. Amen. And if we know how the story ends, and I would submit to you it's not about just the, the mansion and all the beautiful things that God gives us. It's about what's important in it. It's about people. It's about relationships. It's about character development. It's about all these other things. It's not about all the stuff that the world says is important. It's not about that. And if we keep the end in mind, it will certainly help us and give us hope in the here and now. Because all of us have struggles. Is there one person here that can raise their hand and says, I don't have any struggles, Pastor? Okay. Oh, went too fast. This individual had worked really hard to build his house, a log cabin. This is just an illustration, but anyway. And he was walking out to his log cabin. He was about finished with it. Uh, or maybe he had finished it. I don't remember. But as he came over the crest of the hill, does that look like a good face? No, it wasn't a good face at all. Fire had struck his cabin. And everything was gone. Has anybody ever lost? Maybe I shouldn't ask that question, but fire, my goodness. That can be devastating. And so he's kicking around through what's left, these ashes and all the rest. And he hears a little sound. He's, I don't know if you see what's here. <clears throat> right here. It almost looks like KFC was there. I don't know. And he kicks it over, and do you know what he sees? All these baby chicks that survived the fire. And he picked up these little baby chicks, and he was amazed. And really had to contemplate the love of this mother that gave up her life for her baby chicks. Not just with a wing out here. I imagine it was full encompassing, right? Mm. And somehow, some way, these chicks survived. I'm sure they tried to get to the best place and, and maybe in a hovel or whatever, but the time came, they hunkered down. And we have this in Psalm 91. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will take refuge. Sometimes it pays to be a farmer and read your Bible at the same time. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. I mean, notice there it says plague. Why? Because we've made Jesus our refuge. Amen. Amen. We've made Jesus our refuge. And we're depending fully and completely upon him. And so we serve a God that doesn't pull us out of the flames, but is with us in the midst of the flames. That's the God that we serve. And I believe that applies not just to the plagues at the end, it applies to the plagues in your life today. It applies to your plagues in your life today. And so Jesus wants to be that for you. He wants to be that for me. He wants us to come running to him when we have challenges, when we have trials, when we have struggles. And say, come under my wings. Come under my wings. Again, Psalm 91. If you haven't been to Psalm 91, you need to go there and you need to mark it up. 
Get all your colored pencils out. Get your highlighter out. Whatever you use. I love colored pencils. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. Amen. That's beautiful. And so I don't believe that Armageddon is something that we have to stay up at night and be fearful about. Is it going to be real? Yes. Is it going to be terrible? Yes. Are we going to be glad when it's over? Yes. But God's going to be with us. I'll tell you, if you want to fear the plagues, then you just reject God. And you'll get to experience the plagues in their fullness. But if we are in Christ, we're like the chicks under his wings. And Jesus is willing to die for us. He did, didn't he? There's no reason I should be able to live through the plagues. There's no reason you should be able to live for the plague, through the plagues. There's no reason any of us should be able to live throughout eternity. Except that Jesus died in my place. His perfect blood was shed for my wicked, sinful blood. And he says, I want to apply that on your behalf. Will you let me? And so I see the plagues as a God of love saying, all of these things I can supply. And at the end, it will be very plain that I'm the only one that can provide physical, economic, financial, your life. I'm the only true light. All of these things, God says, come to me. And I will be the one to provide for all of your needs. Does that make sense? Yes. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these verses in Scripture that give us an idea of what we can expect. But Lord, we have nothing to fear if we simply hang on to your hand. And that's not just for down the road. That's for right now. You will never leave us. You will never forsake us. Psalm 91 is chock full of promises of how your angels will guard us and protect us and take care of us. And Lord, that doesn't always mean that we'll be the wealthiest, that our health will be perfect, that all these things will just come together, but we know how the story ends. And so we're willing to live in this little attic apartment, if you will, this scummy place called planet Earth, and we see glimpses of your glory and nature in various places. But Lord, if we look very hard, there's sin everywhere. It abounds. But we know how the story ends. We know that you will deliver us, that you will take us home, and we can live with you for eternity. And so, Lord, we just again this morning, we want to surrender to you. We want to say, come into our hearts. May we live for you. May we trust you for everything. And may we start that today. This is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.